So we're in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. If you are in the English Standard Version or if you grab a Bible from the seat in front of you, it's page 737, Daniel chapter 2, and we'll start with verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. So here's the king of Babylon. This happened 2,600 years ago. The king of Babylon is the most powerful man on earth, and he has a dream, and he can't sleep. He is troubled. He's greatly distressed. In our world today, many people are greatly disturbed. This past week on Tuesday, President Obama, he was talking about uh, gun violence in America, and as he remembered what happened at Sandy Hook Elementary School Almost three years ago, those 20 children that died in that classroom, he shed tears because he couldn't change what had happened. And as he thought about what had happened in 2015, about 30,000 people being gunned down in America, and that probably the same thing will happen in 2016, he shed tears. He's troubled. What troubles you? What keeps you up at night? You know, we live in a world where most people think that almost all of life is outside of God's domain. Yet as human beings, we continue to face workplace demands, relational tensions, university exams, (laughs) serious illness, recurring nightmares, unexpected traumatic events, for some of you, really complicated immigration procedures. And are we just on our own? Or can God help us? Maybe this week you're facing some emotional stress. Well, what's the origin of that? that, Is that just a physical thing? Is it due to relational tension? Is it emotional? Is it spiritual? Where do you go for help? Where do you go for wisdom? Do you go to the bookstore and read the latest self-help guide? Do you go to a counselor? And if you do, which school of psychology are you going to follow? And if... A person prescribes medicine for you, will you take it? Is that the path? Maybe you've been diagnosed with a serious illness, so are you going to follow the counsel of Western medicine? Will you take a more Asian approach? Will you look to alternative medicine? Can you trust the latest scientific research? Where do you go for wisdom? Maybe you have a business and your business is suffering, or you're at work and there's tension in the work environment. So where do you go for wisdom? Do you go to a business mentor? Do you read the latest article in Harvard Business Review? Do you go to a fortune teller, read your horoscope? Where do you find wisdom to live life today? Well, I think Daniel chapter 2 has instruction for us, very relevant for our day. It talks about how Daniel will find wisdom in his day, in his Babylon, and helps us understand how we can navigate life in our world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, again, just for the freedom to worship your name. We come here freely, and we can exalt your name, declare who you are. We can give freely, we can pray freely, we can gather around your word and invite your Holy Spirit to instruct us. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for us, for taking our sin upon yourself. Thank you for opening the way to the Father. Thank you for sending the Spirit 
And you've sent us the Spirit to counsel us, to teach us. And so, God, again, we just recognize that we depend on you. We need your help to understand your word. Reveal yourself to us today so that we may know how to live for your glory in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. So Daniel chapter 2, verse 1 again. Daniel 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in, stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. The wise men aren't sure that they've heard the king correctly. So, verse 7, they answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. Going back to verse 1, you see that it's the second year of Nebuchadnezzar. In the Babylonian system, the, the, the accession year would not be counted, and so this is actually his third year of reign. Daniel and his friends came to Babylon during his first year. And so they now have completed their schooling. They now belong to the wise men of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he suffers from insomnia. Did he just eat too much pizza that day? Or is kingship just too stressful? Interesting that he rules over the known world. He's the most powerful man on the planet. He can tell people what they should eat. He can tell people to interpret his dreams. He can actually execute people. He has that authority. And yet he doesn't have control over his own sleep. He's vulnerable. A few years ago, my daughter was in an art class, my second daughter, and she was asked by her professor, the students were asked to draw their dreams. The students drew their dreams, and every drawing, with the exception of one, was a drawing of a scary, nightmarish, hellish dream. Why? 
Why are our young people so anxiety-filled? You know, our, our dreams, they, they reveal what is often suppressed in daily life, deep-seated fears, ambitions, passions, mysteries. Why would almost all of the youth in that class draw nightmarish dreams? Why is Nebuchadnezzar greatly disturbed? Why does he lose his sleep? Well, in the ancient world, dreams were un understood to be a communication from the gods. They're communicating future events. And he, has, as king, he needs to understand his dreams. His dreams not only mean something for him, but for the whole empire. And so as a king, he needs to understand the dream and then take measures in response, maybe preventive measures. Maybe there's something that he needs to do to defend the empire. So he wants to know what the dream means. This kind of thinking continues in the Middle East and in much of the world. Here's a book I would recommend to you, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. It's written by a Pakistani Christian, Nabil Qureshi. He's from Muslim background. But he writes the following about his Muslim culture. In our culture, dreams are carefully considered because as a well-known hadith teaches, a hadith is just a, a word or an action of Muhammad that's recorded in Muslim tradition. A well-known hadith teaches the dreams of the faithful are prophetic. In fact, dreams are the only means I know of by which the average Muslim expects to hear directly from God. So we shouldn't be surprised when Muslims from Africa or from Asia or from the Middle East see Jesus in their dreams that God should reveal himself to them in that way and that would open their hearts to who Jesus is. Why does God speak to Nebuchadnezzar through a dream? Because he will listen to a dream. <laughs> and not only that, this is probably where the religions of Babylon and the faith of Daniel come closest because God speaks to, the to his people through dreams and visions as well. You remember Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Solomon. And so in Daniel's world, God speaks through dreams and visions as well. Interesting, really interesting. In chapter 2, verse 4, the second part of the verse, the language actually shifts from Hebrew to Aramaic. Why? Because Aramaic is the international language of the day. And it seems that God wants not only the Hebrew community, the Jews, to get the message of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2 through 7, but the whole empire. There's a message for the world here. Where will Nebuchadnezzar go for help? Well, he calls for the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans. These are his political consultants. These are his religious gurus. These are the trend spotters, his royal advisors. There's about 24 references to them in this second chapter. Who are these men? Well, these are the men that manipulate the spirit world. These are the men that know the spells, the incantations, the rituals. They can make the spiritual realm work for Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom. That's the understanding. These are the men that can read the stars, interpret what the stars are saying for Babylonian life. These are the men that are experts in dream interpretation. So these are the men that Nebuchadnezzar goes to. To this day, many religions continue to be inspired by the occult sciences of Babylon. The practices that I just, just, just described these things continue to be practiced around the world. In fact, for many people, in many cultures, these are the primary sources of wisdom. 
king is greatly disturbed. And he doesn't follow the normal protocol. The normal protocol would be, okay, a person narrates the dream, shares the dream, and then the dream experts go to the dream library. And they study the history of recorded dreams. And they compare the interpretations of those dreams with Nebuchadnezzar's dream. They look at the way the symbols of dreams have been interpreted in the past. And they make an analysis of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and they come to him with their research paper on Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't follow the normal protocol. He says, no, I don't want you just to go to the library and interpret my dream. I want you to recount the dream to me. And the men say, this is impossible. This is totally ridiculous. You couldn't be more unreasonable. No one has ever made this kind of request. In our world, many people search for answers and in their desperation are often unreasonable. Anybody unreasonable in your world? Maybe you've been unreasonable this week. In our search for answers, when we're desperate, we can become really unreasonable. The advisors say, the wise men, no human being can interpret a person's dream unless it's revealed by the gods, and the gods just do not dwell with man. They don't speak. Interesting that within Nebuchadnezzar's name, there's actually the name of a Babylonian god, Nebo. Who was he? Well, he, his name actually means the god who shines, the god who gives light. Every Babylonian city, there would have been a house of knowledge, a temple in his honor. And within that temple, you would find symbols of precision, exactitude, wisdom, knowledge. You can find these temples in our world today with many of the same symbols. So Nebu, he's the god of the sciences, of astronomy, of wisdom and knowledge. And if anybody should be able to interpret the dream for Nebuchadnezzar, it should be Nebo. <laughs> and here the wise men say, this can't happen. The Babylonian gods, they do not dwell with men and they don't speak. There's no answer. This is what the God of Israel says about the gods of Babylon. This is from Isaiah chapter 46. These words were prophesied a hundred years before Daniel's time. Isaiah 46 verse 1. Bel bows down. Now Bel is the principal God of Babylon. Bel bows down. Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They lift it, the idol. To their shoulders they carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. So the God of Israel would say to Nebuchadnezzar, you can cry all you want to your idol. It's not going to respond. There is no answer. Gods have no answer. But Nebuchadnezzar, he's resolute in his decision. He's firm. He will kill. He will execute all of the wise men if he doesn't get an authentic interpretation. So what can be done? What do we do when circumstances appear to be impossible? <laughs> the Babylonian advisors, their vision is limited by their understanding of the gods. Gods don't speak. They don't have an answer. So in our Babylon today, in our world, when we're struggling, do we follow, do we trust in a God that will actually speak? 
I have to confess, and I, I see this in myself and I see this in others, that we often live like deists. What's a deist? A deist is a person that just believes that God created the universe. He set things in motion. And now in daily life, if you're stressed out emotionally, if you're suffering in business, if you're facing a serious illness, you got to figure things out. Make it work. So you go to your experts. You go to your specialists. You read your books. You consult your Facebook friends. You look to a person that you think has wisdom. Some people watch Dr. Phil every day. We're Oprah. And we laugh, but it's true, isn't it? People need wisdom to live. They need to know how to navigate life. So where do we find wisdom? Is there a different way to respond in the midst of a crisis? Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 13. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time, that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Bizarre circumstances, right? Because Daniel and his friends, they were taken from Jerusalem. They made the trek from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon, and they survived, (laughs) And then they were selected to serve in, Bab- in, in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar. They went through this, this school of three years to learn the wisdom of Babylon. They refused the royal diet. And God showed them favor, compassion. They survived, and here they are. And now the king had this dream, and he makes this ridiculous edict that all of the wise men of Babylon should be destroyed, executed, including Daniel and his friends. Notice that Daniel, he responds with prudence and discretion. That word discretion is is like taste, with with tact. He speaks to Arioch with wisdom and tact. And he asks for an audience with the king. He goes into the king's presence and he asks for a time to receive an interpretation. Even before God has revealed anything to him, He has the courage, the boldness, the faith to ask for a time. See, Daniel understands something. He understands that the contest is actually between the Babylonian gods and the God of Israel, between the wisdom of Babylon, the empty wisdom of Babylon, and the true wisdom of God. Daniel knows the God of Israel. Maybe he remembers Isaiah 57 verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. So he believes the God of Israel can do what the Babylonians say is impossible. 
Yes, God is high and holy. He's sovereign over all of history. He's supreme. He's transcendent. But he also abides with the humble. He's among his people and he speaks. It's interesting that Daniel and his friends are not given their Babylonian names here. No, they're Hebrew names. Daniel, God is my judge. Hananiah, Yahweh, that's the name of the God of Israel, the God who's present to save. Yahweh is gracious. Mishael, who is like God is? No one can compare to him. Azariah, Yahweh is my helper. And so understanding who God is, realizing that the God of Israel is completely different from the Babylonian gods, Daniel calls his friends and he says, let's go into God's presence and pray. And at this critical moment in the history of Babylon and in their lives, they prostrate themselves before Yahweh and they pray to the God of heaven that he might reveal the mystery. If ever their lives depended on God, it's now. If ever they needed God to be God, it's now. But this is a wonderful moment. Why? Because they're desperate and God is God. Maybe they remember Isaiah 46, verse 5. Here God is speaking, To whom will you liken me and make me equal? And compare me that we may be alike. Down to verse 9 of that chapter. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. So Daniel and his friends, knowing this God, they prostrate themselves before him, and they cry out, For mercy. God's people live with wisdom by responding to the challenges of life by prayerfully seeking God's face. Prayerfully seeking God's face in community. Uh, 2001, my wife was diagnosed with uh, cancer. And uh, a friend recommended that she see a leading oncologist in Sao Paulo, the city where we were living. So we were waiting in the lobby of this medical office, and uh, as we waited for her name to be called, our daughters were playing with their dolls on the floor. The receptionist called Judy's name, and she got up to go into the doctor's office, and as she was moving toward the doctor's office, our oldest daughter looked up from playing with her dolls and said, Mom, remember the doctor did not, repart, did not part the Red Sea. It's wisdom. Not that we would in any way disparage the counsel of a medical doctor. But at the end of the day, our lives are in the hands of Yahweh. He determines our days. How does God respond to Daniel and his friends? Then the mystery was revealed. This is verse 19 of Daniel 2. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. 
He changes times and seasons. He removes and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness. And the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. God reveals Nebuchadnezzar's dream in a vision of the night. He's not only able to reveal it, he's willing to because he's merciful and compassionate. And Daniel just responds in a spirit of worship. God's people live with wisdom by responding to God's revelation with praise and thanksgiving. Are we a people of praise and thanksgiving? When was the last time we stopped to just praise and thank God for the way that he has revealed himself in history, the way that he has revealed himself through his word, the way that he has revealed himself in Jesus, the way that he has revealed himself to us personally? God's people are marked by praise and thanksgiving. Sinclair Ferguson comments, The test of our spirituality does not lie only in the fervency of our prayers in times of crisis, but in the wholeheartedness of our worship when God acts in grace. The test of our spirituality comes after our intercession, not before it, not just before it. This prayer of thanksgiving here in Daniel chapter 2, it highlights two of God's main great attributes. He's the all-powerful one, first of all. He's almighty. So, the Babylonians would have believed that the times and seasons were in the hands of Aku, a Babylonian god. Daniel says, no. It's the God of Israel. He determines the times and the seasons. They would have said, no, Bel, he sets up kings and removes them. And Daniel says, no. It's the God of Israel, Yahweh. Not only is he all-powerful, he's all-wise. The Babylonians would have said, wisdom and knowledge, that belongs to Nebo. And Daniel says, no, no. Wisdom and knowledge, they belong to Yahweh. He reveals the deep and hidden things. The light dwells with him. And having been in God's presence, he gets up off his knees and runs to Arioch. And look at what happens. Verse 24 of chapter 2. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation." Then Eric brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. No, he didn't. He didn't find Daniel. Daniel found him. But you know, this is the world. And we like to take credit for what others have done. That's Ariok. Verse 26. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen in its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But, and this is a huge but, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. We'll study that dream in detail next week. 
But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Interesting that when Daniel is introduced to the king, he's introduced with his Babylonian name, right? Belshazzar, named Bel. But Daniel, (laughs) gracefully, boldly, proclaims to Nebuchadnezzar, hey, you can consult the Babylonian gods, you can look to Babylonian wisdom, you can read all the books in the dream library, you can do the sacrifices, the rituals, whatever you want, but you won't find the wisdom in Babylon. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and I come in his name. Daniel enters in the name of the God of heaven with humility, in the name of the all-wise one, the all-powerful one. He says, hey, the wisdom didn't come from me. I haven't interpreted your dream, recounted your dream, because I went to the library and spent hours and hours reading dream books. It's come from the God in heaven. And he reveals mysteries. He speaks. That's why Daniel remains undaunted. God's people live with wisdom by walking with humble confidence. Because of who God is. And the God of Daniel is our God. It's a compassionate God, a merciful God, a God who is present, an all-wise God, an all-powerful God, more than capable of speaking, revealing to us how we should live, providing wisdom. Nabil. Nabil Qureshi, Pakistani Christian, former Muslim. He grew up as a Muslim, devout Muslim. Could not imagine not being a Muslim. Committed to his Muslim faith from a good Muslim family. Valued so highly the Prophet Muhammad. Revered the Prophet Muhammad. The Quran. When he was studying medicine at Old Dominion University... He was befriended by a Christian. became very close friends. And through their close friendship and lengthy conversations, he began to consider who Jesus was. You see, for a Muslim, Jesus is a prophet, went to the cross, was crucified, but got off the cross and later died in India. His Christian friend challenged him on his understanding. And he began to study what it meant for a person to be crucified. And he came to the conclusion, okay, Jesus, he probably died on that cross. He studied what it meant for the tomb to be empty. Could Jesus have risen from the dead? Studied the evidences for the resurrection of Jesus. Came to the conclusion that That tomb probably was empty and that Jesus did rise from the dead. But, you know, you can't study, you can't trust the Bible. Like all Muslims, he believed that the New Testament that we have here has been corrupted. That what we have in our Bibles is not what was written in the first century. It's been corrupted by the church. So he began to investigate the reliability of the scriptures and came to the conclusion 
that what we have here in the New Testament actually is what was written in the first century. And if you don't believe that, I challenge you, do the research. And you'll come to a similar conclusion. So coming to the conclusion that the New Testament is actually reliable, he began to think about the prophet Muhammad and the Quran. And at one point in his journey, he did the unthinkable. He began to read Muslim scholars, Muslim tradition, to come to an understanding of who Muhammad actually was. And he discovered that the Muhammad that he had come to know in his mosque had had very little to do with the Muhammad that had lived in history. And then he began to study how the Quran had come together. You see, Muslims believe that what you have in the Quran is just a perfect preservation of what was revealed to Muhammad. And as he studied the history, he realized, oh my, there's missing verses, there's missing surahs, that there was all kinds of controversy around what should be included and shouldn't be included in the Quran. Now his Muslim foundations were being shaken. But he still believed in Allah. So he cried out to Allah and said, Allah, reveal yourself to me in a dream. Show me that you are the true God. And God gave him a vision, and over time, three dreams. And the vision and all three dreams pointed to Jesus. For the first time, he opened the scriptures, and he started to read the Bible for himself, And as he read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit spoke to him. He realized that it was living and active. He heard God speaking to him like never before. He couldn't put the scriptures down. And as God spoke to him and revealed wisdom to him, he he came to the conclusion that Jesus actually was the Son of God, that Jesus had come to save him. And he yielded his heart to Jesus. You see, the Bible always points to relationship with God. The wisdom literature says over and over, again that, over and over again that wisdom is God himself. Wisdom is found in knowing him and being like him. That's where wisdom is found, in God. How do we get to know him? Well, the gods of the Babylonians would say, you can't get to know him. God doesn't speak. He doesn't dwell with man. But there is a God in heaven who dwelt with man. There is a God that became flesh and dwelt among us and made God known. That's Jesus. And if we're in Jesus, then the Spirit of God abides in us. And the Spirit of God knows God. Listen to Paul, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He's comparing the wisdom of the world with the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, 
but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit within us testifies to God. Through him we have the mind of Christ. Paul says in Colossians 1.27 that we have within us Christ, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. And in Jesus are hidden what? <laughs> what do we find in Jesus? What do we expect to find in Jesus? Is there wisdom for all of life in Jesus? Is all of life within his domain? Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 2. My goal is that they, the churches, and so he would say to us, my goal is that Willingdon may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures. And that's all. That's not some of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if we want to walk with wisdom in Babylon today, who do we need to get to know? Thank you. Jesus. In Jesus are hidden all all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. May we live the truth of that in 2016. How do we get to know Jesus? Well, immerse yourself in the scriptures. They testify to him. Read the gospels. Study his life. Meditate on his teachings. The scriptures from Genesis to Revelation point to Jesus. If you're just starting in your Christian walk, sign up for that Discovering Jesus class. It's a great way to get to know Jesus. If you're a little farther down the path, take that WSB course, Knowing Christ, being offered this semester. Get to know Jesus. Make that your goal, your primary goal in 2016. Lord, I want to get to know you. And as you pray that prayer, the Spirit of God will reveal to you who Jesus is. Paul says that we've been given a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So that we may know the hope that we've been called to, Ephesians chapter 1. Commune with Jesus. Worship. Pray. Fast. Be like Daniel. As we walk through Daniel, we'll see that Daniel was a man of prayer. Every day, three times a day, he would bow down, worship, pray to the God of heaven. May we be people of prayer that commune with Jesus. Wisdom is found in a relationship with Jesus that produces a mindset, a biblical way of thinking about the path of life and living in communion with Jesus each step of the way. Walk with friends. Don't walk alone, as Pastor Andy said. Study the scriptures with brothers and sisters. Pray with brothers and sisters. We're not meant to walk alone. If you think that God is speaking to you through his word, if you believe that God has spoken to you through a dream, or a vision, or a prophetic word, or through some other means, test that in your group. In light of the scriptures, these are your sure guide. We're not meant to walk alone. God's people live with wisdom by recognizing that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus. You see, we serve a God who speaks. We serve a God who speaks. 
His word is living and active. He has revealed himself in Jesus, and in Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. No matter what challenge challenge you're facing, God is more than able to grant you the wisdom and the knowledge to face it. And so in 2016, may we make that our primary goal, to get to know Jesus. Jesus, the one who has given us life. And as we do that, we will experience his favor, his compassion, his mercy, his grace, his love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to Daniel. Thank you that his story instructs us. Thank you for the written word that reveals to us who you are. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us individually, to us as a church collectively. Lord, that we would hear your voice over our lives and that we would respond faithfully, obediently, that we would embrace life with faith, not because of our wisdom, because of our strength, but because of who you are. Lord, I pray that you would grant to each one here boldness, increased faith as we worship you, as we give you glory, Lord. May we be like Abraham. May we just grow in faith. And may we believe that you are able to bring into existence things that don't exist, that you are able to do the impossible in our lives just as you did the impossible in Abraham's life and in Daniel's life. You haven't changed. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you, Lord. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.